Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. And so we find ourselves now in the 13th chapter. We're looking at the next portion of Scripture, which informs us how churches grow, which is very relevant to us as a church, because as a church, we have been growing and growing week in and week out, and we give God the praise and the glory for that. I hear the rustle of pages has ended, and so I'm now going to read from God's Word. I'm reading from the book of Acts, and I'm starting at the first verse. Hear the word of the Lord. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist darkened and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred. For he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now Paul and his company set sail from Paphos and came to Pergia in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Pergia and came to Antioch in Pistia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, The rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. 
And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kesh, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me is coming the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, And those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of the salvation for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for 40 days, he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem and are now witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purposes of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he, whom God raised up, did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is free from everything which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, 
almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Just so far in the reading of God's word. Let's bow our heads and pray to Almighty God. Father, all men are like grass and their glories are like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers die. But the word of the Lord, it stands forever. Upon that word, we would stand this morning Your word, faithful and true, without error and sufficient for all matters of life and godliness. Lord God, would you teach us by your spirit, renew our minds and stir our hearts and conform our lives toward the image of your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, that our lives might reflect your glory before a darkened world. These things we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. So how do churches grow biblically? How do and how does the gospel get spread? Acts tells us how the gospel triumphs, how God's word conquers souls despite opposition. One of the ways churches grow is as we reach out to the whosoever. That's what we're looking at this morning in Acts chapter 13 as we continue this series of how churches grow by by looking at the first mission-sending church, the first mission-sending church, the church in Antioch. The church at Antioch was diverse, We read in the text that there were in this church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Mahnaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now Antioch was a cosmopolitan city with a diverse population. It was a melting pot of different ethnicities, different beliefs, different cultures. Look in your Bibles at Antioch's leaders. Notice how they look like Antioch's pews, a mixed bag of fruit. Barnabas, a Levite from Cyprus, Simeon, called Niger, meaning black or dark, is presumably an African convert. 
Lucius from the African city of Cyrene, Menaean, an aristocrat, and Saul, a Pharisee convert. Diverse leadership for a diverse church. The church at Antioch is spirit-filled. It says in our text in verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. The verbs for worshiping and fasting in this verse are present participles, which indicates that this was the habitual activity of this congregation, a daily worshiping, fasting, and listening to the Holy Spirit church. These are not part-time saints. No, these believers are all in all the week time believers. The church at Antioch is responsive. It says in verse 3, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them out. When the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, they do not say, but that is our senior pastor. (laughs) They do not say, but that is our weekly preacher. No, they set apart their very best and send them off to the mission field. That is a vibrant, spirit-filled, exciting, dynamic, set-on-a-hill city, set-on-a-hill kind of church. We listen to the Holy Spirit and we respond to what the Holy Spirit says. God's people care more about God's glory then they care about their own personal comfort. It says in verse four, they'd been sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. And when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So much of mission work is about opportunity and opposition. The proconsul of Cyprus wants to hear the word of God. The most important man on the island wants to listen to the most crucial message in the world. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name in verse 8, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. The proconsul's advisor is a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Bar is an Aramaic word, which means son of, son of Jesus. A Hebrew calling himself a person's son is identifying himself with that person. Eliamus is claiming to be a follower of Jesus Christ. 
But he taught the opposite of what Jesus taught. Like Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, Brahminites, Roman Catholics, and prosperity gospel preachers, but Jesus claimed the name of Jesus but denied the message of Jesus. But Saul, in verse 9, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Paul calls him out. This is no polite public debate. He strikes at the very heart of this man's soul. You claim to speak on behalf of Jesus, but you are not a faithful herald. You claim to be for Jesus, but you are anti-Christ. And immediately a mist fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. And then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. The Holy Spirit of God accompanies Paul's strong accusation with strong affirmation, a miracle. A dark cloud falls on Bar Jesus and he cannot see. A cloud is lifted from the proconsul and all of a sudden he can see. Amid opportunity, there is opposition. But God glorifies himself and the lost come to faith. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and come to Pergia and Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in, in Pisidia. Mission work is not easy work. One wonders why John left them. We can take some guesses, but the text itself isn't clear. John Mark is Barnabas's cousin. He had tagged along as a missionary intern of sorts, but now he turns back. We're not told exactly why, but we know that it was a great disappointment to Paul and an embarrassment to John because he goes back to his mother's house in Jerusalem rather than returning to the city of Antioch. We read in verse 14 that on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers... If you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Paul and his companions are Jews. So they go to the synagogue on the Sabbath. And this evolves into Paul's regular pattern for missionary work. As he goes from city to city, he inevitably goes first to the synagogue of a city and proclaims the gospel there. Why? Because Jews knew the scripture but Jews needed the gospel. 
because Gentile proselytes attended synagogues too and Paul wanted to reach them too because visiting preachers were often invited to preach at Jewish synagogues and this synagogue was no different. And so Paul stands up and he motions with his hands, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. Paul knows his audience. He's not speaking to a multi-ethnic church on a Sunday in Pretoria. Paul is speaking to a synagogue of Jews on the Sabbath. And so he tailors his sermon to them. He addresses the Jews with formality as men of Israel and the Gentiles with courtesy as those who fear God. This is what he says in verse 17. God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. And everybody in the synagogue is nodding their head because they know these stories. Paul is appealing to their knowledge of Scripture, how God had used Moses to save his people by bringing them out of Egypt, how God had used Joshua to save his people by bringing them to the promised land. How God had used the judges to save his people and deliver them time after time after time. And how God had raised up King David, the greatest of the kings. Verse 23, of this man's offspring, of David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, but behold, after me is coming the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Paul's intent is not actually to deliver a history lesson. He wants the Jews who know the scriptures to see the Savior to whom all the scriptures point. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul wants his audience to see their need for Jesus. And so he ends the first section of his sermon by saying, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Friends, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Amen? God's promises in Genesis that a Savior would bruise the serpent's head. God's promises to Abraham that a Savior would bless all the nations of the earth. 
God's promises to David that he would have a throne that would last forever. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Paul knows how to preach to Jews. But would he preach the gospel message? The same gospel message that Jesus commissioned his disciples to preach. The same gospel message that Peter preached on that great and glorious day of Pentecost. That the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Hear Paul's sermon, verse 26. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those who are among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of the salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath fulfilled them by condemning him. Paul says that despite the Jewish knowledge of the scriptures, when Jesus Christ came, they missed him. Even though he was right in front of them, they failed to see him. Verse 28. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Instead of celebrating him, the Jews killed him and buried him. And he would have been all but forgotten except for this. God raised Jesus from the dead. But God, in the text, raised him from the dead. And for many days he appealed to, he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what, the, what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says in another psalm, you will not, not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised did not see corruption. Paul preaches, Christ died. And then he preaches, Christ rose and then he rises in crescendo and gives a universal call of the gospel verse 38 let it be known to you therefore brothers that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed from the law of Moses. Can you see how Paul's gospel message is the same as Jesus? Is the same as Peter's? Christ died, Christ rose, repent for the forgiveness of sins. In this sermon, 
Paul places emphasis not on the resurrection of Jesus from the grave, but, uh, sorry, not, not on the death of Jesus as a substitute for our sins, but more on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. Because the Jews knew that Jesus had died. They knew that Pilate had crucified him. They did not need convincing that he lived nor that he died. What they needed to know was that Jesus Christ is alive. And Paul says that God raised Jesus from the dead. And he says many people can testify to his resurrection. And he quotes scripture to that effect. And he makes it clear that Jesus will never experience corruption. And he points out that the law of Moses is enough to condemn a man, but it is not enough to save a man, but in Jesus Christ, we are free. Friends, that forgiveness of sins is on offer to you this morning. Whosoever believes will be free, free indeed. Turn from your love for sin. Turn from your love for this world. Turn from your love for self and cast yourself upon the promised savior of the human race. Paul gives a warning in verse 40. Beware. Therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about, look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. Paul ends with a quote from Habakkuk, warning Judah that judgment was coming. Friends, if God judged Judah, he will also judge those who refuse and reject his offer of forgiveness. You are in danger. If you reject this offer, if you turn away, you will face destruction alone. Now is the day of salvation. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Turn to him and live today. Well, the initial response to Paul's preaching was astounding. Verse 42, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Let me let you into a secret. How do pastors evaluate their own preaching? It is not by what people say at the door. It is what and by what they do in their lives. I've preached sermons on adultery only to be commended at the door for a good sermon by an adulterer. Sermons on living joyfully only to be commended at the door for a good sermon by some of the grumpiest people in the world. (laughs) It is not commendation 
that pastors desire to hear. It is your lives transformed into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another that we desire to see. And so you notice Paul and Barnabas urging the Jews and Gentiles, following them home, that they ought to be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving themselves. So much missionary work is about opportunity and opposition. The opportunity is that the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. The opposition is that when the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. The Jews saw the righteous response to the good news and acted with unrighteous jealousy. It does seem strange that those who should have rejoiced to see Scripture fulfilled are glum. They should have remembered the words of David. All the ends of the earth shall remember and return to the Lord. The words of Zechariah, many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. The words of Malachi, from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. Verse after verse in the Old Testament of God's promise that one day salvation would come to the Gentiles. But instead of rejoicing, the Jews reject Jesus Christ as their savior. So we come to the climax of this story. In verse 46, and Paul and Barnabas spoke boldly, saying, it was necessary for the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Acts 13 is a hinge chapter. Before Acts 13, the evangelistic efforts were focused on the Jews. From this chapter onward, we have the stage set for the gospel message to spread among Gentiles, to the whosoever. This begins the fulfillment of Peter's words on the day of Pentecost, for the promise is for you, the Jews, and for your children, and for those who are far off, that's people like you and me in Pretoria, the whosoever whom the Lord, our God, calls to himself. You are The whosoever. Gathered here, we are a company of Gentiles. Many tribes, many nations, many people, and many languages. The whosoever who called upon the name of the Lord and are saved. The whosoever who believe in him and will not be put to shame. You are the whosoever. Now, the right response to salvation, even now, as you dwell upon your own salvation, is joy. When the Gentiles heard this in 48a, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. 
Those who are saved rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Friend, have you fallen into sin? Has your joy been diminished? Then repent and cry out with David, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. I'd like you to dwell on the salvation of others for a moment. Your whosoever, your circle of family, your circle of friends, the people that you love dearly, a mother, a gogo, a nana, a child, an old friend, your circle of family and friends who do not yet know Jesus. Revelation 20 talks of a final judgment to come. And there's a warning at the end of that passage. Whosoever's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Judgment is coming. And your loved one is in danger. Terrible, terrifying danger. Does love not compel you to take the good news of the gospel to them? Does love not drive you to speak life where there is death? Jesus says, come to me, all you who, are lab- who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Surely, surely you desire them to come and rest. But you think to yourself, my, my uncle is an alcoholic. He will not come. My child's sin has become great. They will not come. My best friend is an atheist. Surely they will not come. I am powerless to draw them in and robbed of hope that they might be saved. Take courage in these words, friends. 48b, highlight it in your Bible. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation is a sovereign act. God himself appoints the whosoever to eternal life and none are out of his reach for his will is resolute and his hand is strong. And so you can confidently share your faith knowing that men and women will be saved because salvation is a work that God does and our God is mighty to save. Amen? Amen. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region, verse 49. This is the eighth week of thinking through how churches grow biblically, how the gospel spread in the book of Acts, how God's word continued to conquer souls despite opposition. Acts is about how the gospel triumphs. And so here's the application in closing. Churches grow as we reach out to the whosoever. This has implications for the kind of church we desire to become. Central will not be a white church. Central will not be a black church. We will be a whosoever church 
and our whosoever is likely to be a diverse group from every nation, from all tribes, and from all peoples, and from all languages, and so we will celebrate our unity in diversity because it comes from the Lord. Amen. Churches grow as we reach out to the whosoever. This has implications for the way that we evangelize. We will not be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. We confidently share our faith in our city, trusting that the Lord God himself will bring in the faithful. Patrick, can you wave your hand just briefly? There he is. Speak to Patrick after the service and join EE3 so that you can go out and evangelize in our church and in our city to God's praise and to his glory. Churches grow as we reach out to the whosoever. And this has implications for our future aspirations as a community. God conquers souls. And so we are not satisfied with a shrinking congregation. Our vision for the future is a filled sanctuary. We're almost there already. And a filled Sunday school facility. Speak to the refresh committee to find out how the project is going in terms of refreshing our building and our facilities to make us fit for that task and how you can lend support to the efforts. If you're on that committee, now would be a great time just to wave your hand so people know who to speak to. Jabu, hands could go up. Great stuff. Thanks. Lastly, churches grow as we reach out to the whosoever. This has implications on the way that we pray. Friends, God saves lost souls. And he uses the prayers of his saints in that process. So speak to Les Bray, who's waving his hand here at the front in the second chair from the, from the, from the front. Speak to Les Bray about joining a midweek prayer meeting. They meet here at Arcadia on Wednesday mornings at 6 a.m. If you can't make Wednesday mornings at 6 a.m., then join us on Thursday mornings at 6 a.m. We meet on Zoom. Les can give you those details or connect you with someone who can. Churches grow as we reach out to the whosoever. May we be a church that grows as we reach out to the whosoever will. Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer. Well, Lord God, your gospel is for the whosoever. Jesus Christ crucified has been proclaimed this morning. His resurrection and victory over death has been spoken about. A call to all men to repent for the forgiveness of sins has been issued. Father God in heaven, even as your gospel goes out, we pray, would you open the eyes of the blind that they might see Jesus Christ as their only hope for salvation, the promise of all of scripture, the hope of the dying. And might they cast themselves on him and live. Father, for us as a church community, 
as we think of our whosoever, would you embolden us to take the gospel message out to our parents and to our children and to our spouses and to our friends and to our co-workers? Lord God, might you be glorified as your church goes out into the world and proclaims the victory of Jesus Christ on the cross, that the lost might come in and your great name might receive much fame and glory from this church, a city on a hill whose light cannot be hid. We pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.